You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard." Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this reading of your word. And Father, we look to you this morning collectively that you would be pleased, Father, to bless us with your instruction, that, Father, you would open our our sometimes cold hearts, Father, to your word, and, Father, that you'd be pleased to uh, uh, really give us your life-changing healing, Father, from your word. Uh, that, Father, we, we would truly meet you in this text, Father. So, Lord, to these ends we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As we turn the page, really from chapter 3 to chapter 4, we, we turn from life inside the garden to life outside the garden. Um, and... Might I make application right now? Some of us say, well, you've said one sentence and you're going to start making application. Yeah, I think we can make application already. It's nothing new, nothing novel. I've said it before, uh, but we have lost the garden and we've been trying to recreate it ever since we lost it. Haven't we? I mean, we, you, you can see this everywhere. I mean, you tune into HGTV, for instance. Um, I'm not slamming HGTV by any means. Just tune into it. I mean, you can see we like sunny weather. Um, we like blue skies, don't we? We like warm climates. But there's something else too. We like beauty, don't we? I mean, we like beauty. I mean, you know, our, our pets can walk right past it and really have no regard for it whatsoever, but not us. I mean, we love beauty. We like beauty. Uh, we... we we pay a high premium to beauty. So whether it be on HGTV or all of the advertisements that we're constantly being bombarded with, most of them appeal to a sediment that's, that's really deeply entrenched in each of us, and that sediment is the return to the garden. The problem is, left to ourselves and in our fallenness, sure, we want to go back to the garden, but... Um, we don't want God in the garden with us. And that's the issue. We want the garden, but we don't want God. And that is the problem. And um, as we saw last time, in the conclusion of chapter 3, Adam and his wife, they were banished from the garden, were they not? And that's how we left things in chapter 3. And the rest of the scriptures, really beginning with chapter 4, is a message on how God will gather His people 
and restore the intimacy that was enjoyed by Adam and Eve in the garden. But as soon as I make a statement like that, I need to qualify that statement because uh, being gathered together and being brought into Christ and the salvation that Jesus is offering us in him uh, will result and lead us to an intimacy that is far beyond what Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden. Um, So I don't want to give you the impression that we're just going to return as Adam and Eve were in their probationary state in the garden. No, actually what we're being called to and what's going on, what God is up to here, is he is is moving us towards something that is much greater than what Adam and Eve enjoyed. I mean, just for example, you know, once... You know, once the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ, um, he doesn't unite us to Christ uh, in any kind of probationary sense, does he? I mean, there are some who kind of believe that. They believe, okay, well, um, you know, Jesus has saved us. I'm saved. Uh, I'm saved until I foul up. And then if I foul up, then I can fall away. We would have no gospel if that were true because every one of us would foul up and fall away. Uh, before five, ten minutes from now. We're not even aware of all of the sins we're committing. The only way we can come to any kind of conclusion like that is to have a low view of the law or have a high estimation of our performance of the law or, or both. That's the only way we can come to such a conclusion. But the more you walk with God, the higher your, your estimation of the law becomes. And that should lead us to praise Jesus all the more because Jesus... He obeys it perfectly, doesn't he? A perfect obedience that Jesus offers for the express purpose of gathering us up and giving to us the righteousness that we could never otherwise have or achieve. It's truly, truly amazing. We're not brought into Christ in any kind of probationary period. Uh, If you are... United to Christ and saving faith, this is eternal. You are eternally secure. It's eternal. But having that, all that having been said, our pilgrimage home involves walking through this fallen world, which is outside of the Garden of Eden, isn't it? It's outside of the Garden. As I said last week, I wasn't born in a beautiful garden. I was born in City Hospital. Nothing against City Hospital, but it wasn't a beautiful garden. Um, and you all have your story too. You weren't born in a beautiful garden either. Um, but we long to return, don't we? And now, as we come to Genesis chapter 4, I think uh, those who are familiar with Genesis 4, I want to ask you a question. When you think of Genesis 4, what comes to mind first? What do you think of first? If you're familiar with it, my guess is you're thinking about murder. Because it's a story of Cain rising up and murdering his brother Abel. Uh, You might think of maybe jealousy. You might think of uh, things along those lines. Anger, maybe. Um, Well, with all that having been said, let's take a look. Look with me to verse 1. There we see these words. Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Uh, Let let me just say a couple of things here first. Notice how specific the text is here. The text does not say here that Adam knew the woman. It says that Adam knew his wife. He knew Eve, his wife. And Eve conceived and bore Cain. Now notice, notice Eve's response here. What does she say? She says, I have gotten a man 
with the help of the Lord. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Eve's response here is a response of thanksgiving and praise, isn't it? It's pretty easy to see, isn't it? So when we turn the page from chapter 3 to chapter 4, the first thing that we're confronted with is worship, actually, isn't it? There's praise and thanksgiving taking place in it. And where we have thanksgiving and praise, true thanksgiving and praise, we also have faith, don't we? We have faith. And this is really right here in verse 1 already. We've got one of the keys to understanding this text. We've already got it in in verse 1. It's important that we hold on to uh, that, namely faith. Now, let's tease this out a little bit before we move on. What is Eve giving thanks and praise for? Well, answer, she's giving thanks and praise because she's just given birth to a son. Okay, why is that significant? Well, because we could say, at least at the start, that because children are precious, aren't they? The joy of having children. We've got some new parents in here, you know? (laughs) Yeah, you're smiling. Um, But there's more going on than that, isn't there? There's more going on than that. And... um, why would I say there's more going on in that? Because God has promised Eve offspring, right? In the very first message in this series, we started in Genesis 3 and verse 15, and in that message, God promised Eve offspring. And it was no uncommon promise, was it? In fact, God promised in Genesis 3.15 that, that Eve, that her offspring, would actually be the one that would come and deliver them from the evil one. Right? Now, Adam and Eve have just conceived and they've just bore a son. Now, if you were Adam and you were Eve, what would you be thinking right now? What would you be thinking? I mean, I can't see how we would be thinking anything, but is this child that we're holding here the one? Is he the one? That God promised that would come and bruise the head of the serpent who would come and deliver us from the clutches of the evil one. Is he the one? But let's set that aside for a moment because I don't want to move on to, from this too quick because there's, a, there's such an important application right here that some of us really, really need. And there's, there's room here for incredible praise. Even if this firstborn is not the Christ, and those of you who know the story know that uh, Cain certainly is not the Christ. Uh, even if that's the case, there's still room of praise here. Why? Because God has blessed Adam and Eve. Do do they deserve blessing right now? No. No. But by blessing them with this child, God is demonstrating to them in a concrete way that he's not done with them. Now, I point this to your attention because I think it could be very easy for Adam and Eve. Okay, they got, this, they got this promise. They got the promise. But I think the shame of it all and the trauma of it all, I think that could lead them to conclude, you know what? Is God really for me? Is he really with me? I mean, if he's done with me, I understand and I get it. I mean... I have blown it so bad. Is there promises probably for other people? 
But I can't see for the life of me how God's promise and blessing and mercy could be for me. I know some of us are wrestling with exactly that right now. Could God's promise really be for me? This is the stuff that happens to other people. This isn't the stuff that happens to me. This isn't the kind of ride that I've had. I mean, I believe God's promises and I believe that he's saving people and I believe he's saving them and I believe that he's going to do everything that he says he's going to do, but we really want to save me. If you've never felt that way, give thanks to God if you've never felt that way. But there are people all around you who do feel that way. And they feel exactly that way. Is God done with me? If you're feeling that way, look to this passage. Does Adam and Eve deserve the joy of holding a child in their hands? And the answer is no. But a merciful and just God has blessed them. Amen? And we can, if you're feeling like you've blown it too bad, repent and call on Christ because he will receive you. Fess up to everything. Don't hold anything back. Come clean because he saw everything that you did anyway. He sees everything that I do. He sees everything that you do. He knows everything. You're not going to, he's not going to learn anything. We fess up. We come clean with everything. We ask him to forgive us. We ask him to change our lives. We tell him we want him, and guess what? When these prayers come from the heart, God absolutely loves these prayers. We're told in the gospel that heaven loves these kinds of prayers, that when a a sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. So when we talk this way, the saints who are holy, made holy by the blood of Christ, and the angels who are holy, they rejoice. They love it. And so does God. He loves it. If you think you've blown it too bad, you could repent and believe right now. Or you, you, could, you could cause heaven to rejoice right now. All this wells up in praise. Eve says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Eve recognizes that the child she's holding in her hands couldn't be possible without the help of the Lord. She didn't deserve the help of the Lord, but she got the help of the Lord. And this is incredible news, and it's the praise of the thankful. And if you think you've blown it too bad, and you hear me say repent, oftentimes what we think next is I can't. I've tried. I can't. And one of the reasons I can't do it is because I've done it so many times and I just keep doing the same stuff over and again. And after a while, I just feel like a big hypocrite coming to God and asking him to forgive me again and again and again. And I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. I have no, it's almost like I can't even control it. What do we say? If you're thinking this way right now, what should we think? If we're not thinking this way right now, there's people all around you are. And there might come a day when you're thinking this way too. What do we do? Write these verses down. Psalm 121 and verse 2. Psalm 121 and verse 2. The psalmist says, My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. And then the psalmist appeals 
to the fact that God made everything that is. It reads this way in the ESV, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. What is the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying, listen, my help comes from God and He is so powerful that He has made the heavens, He has made the earth. And if He can make the heaven and He can make the earth, He can help me in my current dilemma. No problem. He has the ability. Psalm 121, verse 2. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. What is a refuge? It's a place where we can go and be safe. It's a place where we can go and be safe. God is our refuge and strength. I have no strength to repent. I have no, I have no strength to change. In fact, I'm devoid of strength and I, I want to change, but I can't. I want to change, but I can't. I want to change, but I can't. I don't have any strength. God is, the psalmist says, God is our refuge. God is our strength. A very present help in trouble. If we're apart from God, we are in big trouble. If you're apart from Christ this morning, don't go another hour that way. You're in big trouble. You don't need to go another hour that way. God is our refuge and strength. We don't need to go an hour that way because God is our refuge and He's our strength. He's a safe place where we can go and He has the strength to take us there. He's a very present help in trouble. What does that mean? That means He's right here. He's not, he's not saying, I can't tell you what, I'm going to meet you next Wednesday uh, before Bible study. He's saying, no, I'm right here right now. I'm right now. I'm right here. You don't need to go another hour. You don't need to go another 10 minutes. Because I'm right here. And I'm strong. And I made everything that you see, including you. And I can help you. Psalm 124, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Is that saying the same thing? Well, kind of. But it's adding something else. The name of the Lord, it means everything that God is. It means He's merciful. It means He's compassionate. It means he's kind. That means he's just. That means he's holy. Down the list we go. He's powerful. He's able. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And again, the psalmist appeals to the heaven and earth. What's he doing? He's appealing to the power and strength of God. Can he help me? Yeah, absolutely. Psalm 146 and verse 5 and verse 6. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God, and again, an appeal to creation, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. And turning to the New Testament, I'll remind you of the testimony of the Apostle Paul, Acts 26, verse 22. He says this, to this day I have had the help that comes from God. I have had the help that comes from God. We get into trouble because we try to do it ourselves. That's why we fail every time. So if you think you've blown it too bad, come to the Lord and He will help you every step of the way. He'll give you everything that you do not presently have. Everything. He'll give you everything. Now, back to our text. The point that I want to get across right now, really back to that, is that Eve responds in thanksgiving. She's responding in thanksgiving. I, I've got this child with the help of the Lord. 
Uh, She's responding in thanksgiving. This is a posture of praise. It's an act of faith. The psalm that we read earlier, the very last verse of it, Psalm 50 verse 23 says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Eve is glorifying God, offering thanks to him. Without faith, this would be impossible. Before we move on and really get to the main point of the message that I want to make this morning, uh, and you might say, well, you haven't got to the main point yet. <laughs> and actually, I'm, I'm, I'm toying with it, but I haven't really made it super clear. Um, don't worry, it won't take too awful long. Um, but before we get to that, I, there's something I want to show you that is so cool. Uh, it'll only take a couple of minutes. It's so, so cool. Um, there's another translation that is possible with this verse, and this translation wouldn't trump anything that I've said already so far, but it's really cool. Um, it, I got this from Dr. James Boyce, who was an exceptional preacher and Bible interpreter, and he gives it to us really kind of in two steps. In the first step, he gives us kind of a literal wooden translation of the verse. It reads this way. Just try to uh, contextualize. Just try to picture this with me. It reads this way. She bore Cain. She bore Cain. And she said, I have brought forth a man, Jehovah. Yeah, I thought some heads would pop up. I have brought forth a man, Jehovah. Now, some first thing we might notice is the name Jehovah. And we say, wait a second. Um, where does that come from? It's been a long time, but remember what I said about the word Lord when it's all capitalized? Remember that? I haven't said that in a while because we've really counted it a while, but look at the verse. It's Lord with all capital letters, isn't it? Okay, that's where Jehovah or Yahweh is coming from. It's there. It's right there. Uh, It's written in capital letters and the translators are informing us that the word Yahweh is present right here. Okay? Now someone might object, and their objection may go like this. Wait a minute, how could Eve be saying that I've given birth to God? And besides that, God hasn't revealed his name yet. He doesn't do it until Exodus. Well, that's fair and good, and that's, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good objection. But Boyce, Boyce was ready for that objection. He had that objection himself as he studied the passage. And he counters that objection saying this, quote, Eve would not have been claiming to give birth to God, but rather would have been using the word in a broader sense, meaning perhaps the one who brings into being, or the one who gives life, or the one who delivers. In this case, the best translation of Eve's words, and this is the second step, The best translation of Eve's words would be, quote, I have brought forth a man, even the deliverer. I find that fascinating because that is the theology of the New Testament. I mean, in this case, Cain is not the deliverer. And we're going to learn that next week, Lord willing. But nevertheless, they would have had no way at this point in time to know that. No way. Uh, And Jehovah does come, doesn't he? Who is Jesus? He's God in the flesh. 
So I throw that out there. Um, I, I think it's fascinating. As fascinating as it is, let's get to the main point of this. Um, the, one, the main point that I want to get across here this morning is worship. I've been mentioning it here and there, but the main point that I want to get across this morning is worship, but more specifically, the kind of worship that God regards, the kind of worship that God is pleased with. Uh, the worship that God regards, actually, is the title of this morning's message. And it's, it's the subject that I really want to, to drive home. And it's borrowed right from the text. If you look with me to verse 2, there we read again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Now quick on the side here, there's, uh, the, both vocations are given, both are lawful. Don't come to any conclusion that it's more righteous or glorious to be a shepherd than a farmer. It's not the point of the text. Uh, that, that misses the point. When you go down that road, it's not taking you, uh, it's really not taking you to the place that the Holy Spirit uh, desires to take us. Trust me on that. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Verse 4, and Abel also brought forth of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, repeating what I said earlier, when we turn to Genesis chapter 4, I think we're inclined to think about the murder of Cain rising up and murdering Abel. That's not wrong. That takes place. We have the first homicide recorded in in Scripture there in in Genesis chapter 4. So if our minds go there, that's only natural. But there's a lot about worship here, isn't there? In in these early initial verses, uh, it's almost all about worship. Uh, And uh, uh, commentaries are varied on this. Bible interpreters are varied on this. But it seems to me that God must have given some instruction here as to how he wants to be worshipped. He must have given some description or some instruction here uh, in how uh, Cain and Abel were to approach him in worship. And I think there's something here that we really do good to take notice. I mean, last week we asked the question, what are we to make of the tree of life? What are we to make of that tree? And I answered that we're to understand the tree of life in a sacramental sense. Remember that? Uh, sign, things signified. Remember that discussion? The tree of life was a sign. Uh, it signified the pledge of life. We put it in Calvin's words. It signified that God had given Adam and Eve life. They owed their existence and sustenance and life to God. And the tree was a sign of that. Uh, well, the... the the Adam and Eve have been excommunicated from the tree of life, but it appears that since their banishment, a sacrificial system has been established. And this shouldn't surprise us because Adam and Eve have been covered with animal skins, haven't they? We find that at the end of chapter 3. Animals would have had to have been slaughtered, blood would have had to have been shed. So it, the blood of the innocent is shed in order to cover the guilty. We see that at the end of, of, of chapter 3. I've been kind of saving that comment for right now. So we have the blood, shed blood of the innocent covering the guilty. Um, so uh, I, I think uh, I think what we have here is a um, there, there's a there's a, a sacrificial system of some description being um, being implemented here. They lost the tree of life, but they're giving this sign of the sacrifice. Calvin says it like this, quote, For we must remember 
that the custom of sacrificing was not rashly devised by them, but was divinely delivered to them. What's Calvin saying? He's saying, listen, they didn't make this up. They didn't come up with this on their own, but that God had delivered this to them. Uh, We're not left without instruction here. You don't need to turn there, but just listen with me to Hebrews 11 and verse 4. It reads this way, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Uh, notice the Hebrews 11.4 refers to Abel's gift as a sacrifice. As a sacrifice. Now, it seems to me that it would be unthinkable to conclude that God was pleased to receive a sacrifice from Abel if he had not showed Abel what pleased him. I can't imagine for a second that Abel, if he just took it upon himself to slay some animal somewhere and drag it to the Lord and say, here's my gift. I I can't think for the life of me that God would have been pleased with that. Where did you get that from? Obviously, there's some instruction that's been given here. And... Uh, we can look at this and we can say, okay, well, the sacrifice, would the sacrifice suffice in pardoning Abel of his sin? The answer is going to be no. Why would we say no? Because Hebrews 10.4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Then what is it? Well, it's a sign. It's a sign. Well, what does it point to? It points to the one who can take away sin. Here's a sign. The sign points to an innocent party going in place of the guilty. It's a sign of one laying his life down for his friends. It's a sign that's pointing to Jesus. It's hope. It's hope. There's hope. Back to Genesis 4. We're told that God had regard for Abel's sacrifice while he had no regard for Cain's sacrifice. And we need to ask the question, why? Why? Well, The reformers were quick to point out the order here. If you look closely at the end of verse 4, see the words, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. You see that? And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now, notice the order. The Lord had regard for what? Abel. Then what? His offering. So he had regard for the person First, then his gift. The reformers pointed out, Calvin pointed it out, Luther pointed it out, uh, Bucer or many others pointed this out, uh, that uh, what the Lord looks for first is the heart of the person. And what is he looking for? Hebrews 11.4, he's looking for faith. And it's key here. It's by faith, Hebrews 11.4 tells us. It's by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. How many passages can you quote from 1 Samuel? Can anybody quote anything from 1 Samuel? I bet there's one you can. You might not be able to get it word for word, but it goes like this. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Y'all know that. See, actually, you can quote from 1 Samuel, didn't even know it. The Lord looks 
at the heart. We look at outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. And if we could have watched Cain and Abel offer their sacrifices, we might have come to the conclusion, say, man, Cain and Abel, man, they're a couple really religious guys or a couple guys really tracking with the Lord. I mean, Cain had a beautiful offering. He just had a beautiful offering on Sunday. And, you know, Abel as well. Uh, they both just had beautiful offerings. Uh, all we can see is the outside. It looked gorgeous. But God sees the heart. And in the case of one of the brothers, their heart was far away from God. It was far away from God. And as I speak right now, as I, as I preach right now, as I teach, as I talk, there's a lot of worship that's being offered right now around this world that is nothing more than outward appearance. Unfortunately, that's the case. I mean, the, the choir music can be beautiful. The praise team can be top-notch. You know, the building can be spectacular looking. The folks are all dressed up in fancy garb. But the heart is far away. Jesus, quoting from Isaiah, said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. Now, we might say in our hearts, Oh, yeah, yeah, I preach it. Preach it, Rick. I mean, preach it, because I've seen a lot of that stuff. I've seen that stuff everywhere. Do it. Preach it. Um, I can even point you to examples. Well, we may be tempted to think, well, this doesn't apply to us. I mean, we meet in an old school building. We don't meet in a big, fancy, beautiful church building. And, like, we teach the Bible. And we're here to study our Bibles, and verse by verse. And, you know, we, we like sound teaching and sound doctrine here, and and um, surely this doesn't apply to us. Let us never entertain such empty and misguided thoughts even for a, no, for, for a nanosecond that this doesn't apply to us. Um, because it's very possible to come to a church like Tri-State Community Church, to come in and sit down, to stand up, sing, bow your head, listen to the sermon, enjoy the sermon. Enjoy every aspect of what we do here. And look forward to doing it again next Sunday. And yet your heart be far away from God. I say that's more than possible. It's actually quite common. And our text shows that this is not a new problem, is it? This is a really old problem problem and as we're going to see in the weeks ahead it's a dangerous problem it's an old problem and it's a dangerous problem what we have here is formalism versus true worship and formalism is just going through the motions and we can love the motions we can love them I mean we can actually love the motions but God has no regard for that kind of worship it's not the worship that God regards. In fact, to the contrary, he can't stand it. It mocks him. It mocks all of heaven. And it's a mockery of his son. And it is offensive to him. 
it's an old problem and it's a dangerous problem. But here, in contrast, here's the worship that God regards. The worship that God regards is a worship that is connected, where a heart is connected to the Father through the way that Jesus is open by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the case with Abel. We could put it this way, it's by faith, true faith. Debates over worship style are completely irrelevant here. I mean, completely irrelevant. I mean, the idea that worship can be renewed simply by changing the music style, that's silly. You know, the formalist, he or she is just as comfortable hanging their hat in a contemporary service as they are in a traditional one. That'll make no difference. We can go through the... It it doesn't matter what the liturgy is on the bulletin or if there is a bulletin. Even if there isn't a bulletin, there's still liturgy. It doesn't make any difference. We can hang our formalistic hats on either either design, on either one. It, It doesn't matter. Changing the musical station is not enough to fix this problem. It's not gonna do it. It's all about connecting with God through Christ by way of the Holy Spirit. And one of the marks of this will be Thanksgiving. Eve is offering Thanksgiving and praise as she holds this child in her arms, isn't she? And Abel is offering Thanksgiving and praise as he offers to God the first fruits, the very best of his flock. And we need to ask ourselves the question, how did we come through that door this morning? Do we come through the door offering the very best that we have to God? That's a question we need to ask. Let each of us ask ourselves, where is our heart this morning? As we pray, where is our heart? As we sing, where is our heart? As we listen to the word, where is our heart? And we... I think every one of us in this room is going to say, I wish my heart was more connected to the Father. And if you're saying that right now, that is an excellent sign. That is an excellent sign. But if we're sitting here saying, I don't have this problem, that's not a good sign. That's the worst sign. Because if we're sitting here this morning, we're saying, I wish my heart was more connected to God. I wish it was more connected to God. Well, then you realize the issue, don't you? You realize the problem. And the fact that you wish that it changed means you're mourning for it, at least to some degree. You want to change. And it goes back to what I said earlier. I want to change. I want my life to change, but I don't seem to have the strength. I told you if you weren't feeling that way earlier, you might be sometime in the future. You might be feeling that way right now. Only 10 minutes later. What's the answer? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he made that garden of Eden. We lost it, but he has returned in the person of Jesus Christ to take us back to something that is greater than that. What we lost. Is that the best of news? And when he looks at the weaknesses that are in our hearts, as we truly mourn, that we wish we were more connected to him than we currently are, he's not looking at us with a scowl or a scorn. He's looking at us with grace to help. 
and he's a refuge, he's our strength, he's a very present help in times of trouble, isn't he? Our God loves us. And he is gathering us to himself so he can take us to a place that's so far beyond the Garden of Eden where our hearts will one day be 100% connected to him through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is boot camp. This is boot camp. Isn't it wonderful? Don't we have a wonderful God? Meet us in our weakness like this. Amen? Let us give thanks. Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess. We confess that our hearts often, Father, are distant from you. We confess, Father, that often our heart is far from you as we worship. We mourn this this morning, Father. And even on, on Sunday mornings when our heart seems to be really connected, Father, and the way people were singing this morning, it sounds like perhaps this is one of those mornings where we really felt like we were connected in so many ways. But Father, we can still recognize there's such a large percentage of our hearts that still are not fully connected with you, Father. And as we look at our text, we see that you're a merciful God. We see that you're a God of compassion, you're a God of justice, you're a God of holiness, and we see that your help, with the help of the Lord, Eve, who did not deserve children, held her firstborn in her hand and later would hold other children in her hand. You blessed her and you blessed her and you blessed her. And Father, we come to you this morning. We come to you this morning, Lord, looking not for what we deserve. To the contrary, we come to you, Father, looking for what we don't deserve. And we pray, Father, that, Lord, we would be made more and more uh, into the likeness of your Son, that our heart would be connected to you more and more through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, that our worship would be held in high regard by you and everyone who sees. Oh, Father, help us, O oh Lord, to connect with you in this deep and profound way. And Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.